Uh, we're going to read James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Hey, everybody. Wasn't that, wasn't that fantastic? You know what I was thinking as I was watching Miguel? I was thinking, Jesus is actually real, which I realize is a, it's, it's a dumb thing to say, but I mean, you have those thoughts, don't you, sometimes where you think maybe this whole Christianity thing is just a big myth. Maybe it's all been made up and I've been completely sucked in. I, mean, I have those thoughts. And then I, I watch what Miguel's saying there, and he's talking about Jesus has turned his life upside down. Jesus has totally changed everything about his life, the things he loved, his addictions, all those things. And, and that's what Miguel saw in other Christians at church, isn't it? He saw Jesus being real in their lives. And, and it's, for me, the, the best bit of that whole thing was Miguel talking about his mum, Petrea. Hello, Petrea. You're probably watching now. Isn't that fantastic to see someone looking at their parent and seeing a living relationship with Jesus. I really hope that one day my kids will be able to say exactly that sort of thing about me. Now, of course, the thing I've realized this week is though, I'm actually a, I'm a massive failure as a parent. There, there's a whole area of parenting. I've realized this week that I have been a complete and utter failure. And this is a bedrock area of parenting. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm rubbish at every area of parenting. There are some things that I think I've, I've done pretty well at. I, I would say that I've mastered the art of the sneaky Dutch oven during story time, the ability to whip the blanket over the kid's head. And I think I've got that one nailed. I think that I'm adept uh, at the dad joke. Uh, I've got a good, ho- good horde of... Do you want to hear my, my favourite dad joke of the moment? Why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the toilet? Because the pee is silent. How good is that? Dads, feel free to use it. I think it's, I think it's a classic. So it's not that I'm terrible at every area of parenthood, of fatherhood, but there is one area of fatherhood that I have just, I've completely neglected. It's, it's what you might call the paternal proverb. You know those, those life lessons that parents, and usually it's dads, they'll bring them out at the worst possible moment. Mums are often a little bit too kind of gentle and subtle, but usually it's the dad who brings out that proverb, things like, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. And usually they say it at the worst moment when you actually don't want to be doing homework, or the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right at the moment when the bully has been annoying you. Or if you keep pulling that face... The wind is going to change on you. You'll be stuck like that. You know those proverbs that your parents, often your dad, used to say to you. What were they for you? Uh, I'm actually live tonight. I'm preaching to you live. And so what I want you to do is if you're watching at home and you're on the YouTubes, put in the comment, what were the proverbs that, you can go with mum as well, but what were the parental proverbs that your parents used to say? We've got some people on set. We'll get, while these guys are giving time to type it in, what, what were the things your dads and mums used to say? You made your bed, you got a lion. There's a classic. Sam Hill's dad used to say, you made your bed, you've got a lie in it. Yep, others? You're not meant to like it, you're meant to eat it. <laughs> you're not meant to like it, you're meant to eat it. I think that's a classic. Stop doing burnouts in the driveway. 
<laughs> stop, doing, stop doing burnouts in the driveway. Okay, that was Jenny Jeffrey's dad. Who, no, that was, <laughs> that was Pete, <laughs> Pete Witt's dad. I'm surprised Pete's car could actually generate enough energy to do a burnout. But um, any others? Have we got any coming in on the do what I say because I said so? Dave Allen sent that one in. I don't know whether it was Dave's dad or Dave that said it. I think that, that <laughs> that's a classic thing. Keep it on the ground, you idiot. Um, Hamish Batley sent that in. I'm assuming that's to do with cricket. <laughs> no shortcuts are to places worth going. Josh Wall, that one's actually quite insightful, isn't it? Less haste, more speed. I think that one's a classic. Eat crust or you'll get curly hair. Clearly that one didn't work for me. There are all sorts of... I've realised I'm a complete failure in this. When I asked my children this week, what are the things that I always say to you, the life lessons, <laughs> within about a second and a half they said, you always say, keep your lips shut when you eat. That's as good as I've gotten. I, and they've never had, I've realised I've failed to teach my children how to live. Now, my dad had loads of these. One of the ones that my dad used to say constantly was, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. You know, it's about, you know, it's, it's another version of the bigger they are, the harder they fall. It's, it doesn't matter how big your opponent is, as long as you want it more than they do. Paradoxically, another one that he used to say is, a good big dog will always beat a good little dog. He seemed to be a bit obsessed with dogs, my dad. And that one kind of goes against the other one. Another one that he used to say, though, all the time was, Greg, you have two eyes and two ears and one mouth for a reason. And what he meant was that you're meant to watch and listen twice as much as you speak. Whenever he said it, I always kind of wanted to say back, so why is it that you're speaking now and not listening to me? It's just that he also had two hands and I knew what he'd do with those hands if I was smart with him. But it's funny, you know, that James actually gives us the same kind of proverb in our passage today. If you've got the Bible open, have a look at James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters... Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, isn't that brilliant advice for going through life? James says, don't be someone who loves to speak and rushes to speak. Be someone who's a good listener and who doesn't rush to anger. It's, it actually seems kind of obvious as advice, doesn't it? But the thing is, this is advice that our world simply doesn't take, isn't it? We live in a world where everyone's always shouting at each other and, and the message is always, make sure your voice is heard. Speak your mind. Don't be a pushover. Get your opinion out there. And when you think about it, that's exactly what social media is, isn't it? When you look at things like Facebook and blogs and Instagram and Twitter, the whole thing is about making sure that you speak. That it actually relies on us speaking more and more and more. Get your voice out there. Be an influencer. Speak, 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 regardless of whether or not you actually know what you're talking about, regardless of whether it's going to be a helpful thing to say. Now, of course, COVID-19 is the classic for this, isn't it? 
Have you noticed that there are roughly 7 billion experts on COVID-19 in the world at the moment and all of us want to get our message out there and why the government's doing the wrong thing and that government's doing the right thing and why is our local council doing this and the authorities have completely mucked it up and none of us have got any idea. I'm just so thankful that I'm not the one having to make the decisions, but we all love to say what we think, don't we? And the result is often anger. Because sure as heck, as soon as I start speaking and mouthing off, someone else is going to point out my ignorance and then I feel the need to defend myself. That's why James says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because there is a direct relationship between the number of words spoken and the amount of anger in the air. The more we speak, the more anger there is. Because as soon as I become really eager to speak, I stop being really eager to listen. And then the argument escalates because neither of us really understand what the other one is trying to say. Neither of us really knows what's so important to the other person. We're interested in winning the argument and launching that devastating counterattack. And of course, at that point, we end up in anger. It's because we don't listen to James's word here. In fact, it's not just in James either. This is the kind of advice that God gives us all the way through the Bible. You see it back in the book of Proverbs. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 10, 19. Those who guard their lips preserve their life, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more, fool, more hope for a fool than for them. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. And so look, this is actually going to sound strange coming from a person who makes his living by speaking, but I'm actually trying to speak less. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. I'm trying to speak less because of something that Emma and I have started calling middle-aged know-it-all syndrome. Uh, there's often this idea that the people who know it all are actually the teenagers. I've come to realise the people who really know it all are people like me. Middle-aged men who've been around long enough now who we think the world owes us a hearing. We think we've got something to say and it's so important that everyone has to listen to what I've got to say. And so Emma and I have got this thing, middle-aged know-it-all syndrome, and Emma has, the, Emma has permission to kind of nudge me in the ribs at any point in a conversation and just go, middle-aged, and just tell me to, to shut up. In conversations, I'm trying to learn the habit of saying, what are you think about this. I'm actually also just physically covering my mouth with my hand to stop me from speaking. My ambition is to be known less for what I say and more for being a good listener. James actually gives us brilliant advice here. But you know, funnily enough, none of this is what James is actually talking about. It's good advice, but these verses aren't actually about the way we talk and listen to each other. They're about talking and listening to God. Because have a look what James says in verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. There's the word that James is talking about listening to 
is God's word. The word God implants in us and the word that saves us. And in fact, when you think about it, getting angry with God and speaking to God has kind of been a theme so far in James chapter 1, hasn't it? So in verse 2, we discover that some of the readers are facing trials. In verse 9, some of them are in humble situations of poverty. And in verse 13, they're tempted to blame God for that. They're tempted to say, this is your doing, God. God is tempting me. That is, the thinking, the talking and the anger that James means here isn't the anger with each other. It's talking and anger with God. And we actually talked a bit about this last week, didn't we? When things are hard for you, when life isn't going the way you want it to, what are some of the things you're tempted to shout at God? We're tempted to say, God, what are you doing here? God, don't you know your business? God, get your act together. Why would I follow you if you're only going to mess up my life, God? And James says, be very slow to speak like this to God. Be very slow to get angry with God. Because that speech and that anger is not going to bring about the righteousness that God desires. Now, look, at this point, one of the things that we might say, and some people definitely do say, is, but, but shouldn't we get angry with God? I mean, if we don't get angry with God sometimes, doesn't that mean our relationship with God just isn't real? Is this saying that we've got to be fake with God? I mean, after all, look in the Psalms. Doesn't David get angry with God in the Psalms? We should get angry with God, shouldn't we? And look, I agree with you. We do want a real relationship with God. We do want to be honest with God, pour out our grief to God, pour out our confusion, ask God for wisdom, ask God for an answer. But just for a minute, let's, what are we actually saying to God when we get angry with him? Well, very often what we're saying to God is that God is morally wrong. Because we get angry with people when they do the wrong thing to us, when they hurt us, when they're sinful, don't we? We think God's being unfair. God's being unfaithful. God's being mean. God's deliberately hurting me. But we saw last week that God is perfect. God cannot be tempted by evil. Whenever I think or say to God that God is in the wrong, that God has done the wrong thing by me, that God's been unfaithful, I am wrong at that point. Or I might not necessarily say that God is doing the wrong thing. I might just be saying that God's incompetent, that God can't see the truth of the situation that God doesn't know how I feel. God doesn't know what it's, what it's like to be me. But of course, we know in the Bible, God sees and knows everything. God knows me better than I know myself. He knitted me together in my most, in, in most parts. God sees from eternity to eternity. And when I say to God that he is incompetent, that God doesn't know the right thing to do here, I'm actually wrong. But of course, the, the biggest thing that we're saying when we get angry with God is that it's our position to judge him, that we are his judge and he is the accused. That is, when I declare God wrong, I'm making myself the judge and he's answerable to me. Of course, that's a position I never want to take with God, isn't it? That position where it's my job to judge his actions and to judge his character, that's never something I want to do with God, is it? Because once I start to have that kind of rebellion, I'll continue to rebel against him. 
James tells me that in verse 20. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. If I put myself in the position of judging God and telling him his business and telling him what he should have done, then I start to think that I know best, not just in this area of life, but in every area of my life. This attitude is going to lead to other sins as well, because I'm going to start thinking that I know better than God does in the area of my money in the area of my body, in the area of my work, in every area. Once I start to say, my job, God, is to tell you what to do. And when you are right or wrong, well, look where it leads in verse 21. James says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Once I start to decide that God is wrong and I get angry with him, that's where I end up in the prevalent evil of the world and in moral filth. Friends, be very slow to accuse God of sin. Be very slow to accuse God of incompetence. And be very slow to put yourself in the position of being his judge. Do not become angry with God. Now, of course, by all means, Be real. By all means, pour out your heart to God and tell him how you're feeling. Tell him the confusion. By all means, be real. But a real relationship with God never puts me in the position of being his judge. That is a fantasy. Instead, ask God for wisdom. Come humbly. Be quick to listen. Because that's where James takes us, isn't it? So look in verse 21 again. James says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, there's three things I want us to bring out fairly quickly here about those, that verse. The first thing is that beautiful word, humbly. Humility really is a beautiful quality, isn't it? When you see someone who is genuinely humble, It's just so wonderful to see, isn't it? What is humility? Well, sometimes I think we're tempted to assume that humility is thinking of yourself more lowly than you really are. I mean, you know, the person who says, oh, I'm so dumb. I didn't know anything of that in that test. And they turn out to get 95%. Or the person who's like, oh, no, I'm really terrible at tennis or I'm really terrible at squash. And then they go out and wipe the floor with you because they've actually been really lowering themselves. I, I actually play a bit of squash and I'm all right at it. It'd be wrong of me to go, oh, I'm terrible at it. No, what humility is, is accurately picturing yourself, not elevating it. It's accurately picturing yourself, not thinking too highly of yourself. And so the right way for me to think of myself as a squash player is, look, I'm, I'm okay. But to be honest, if I ever come against anyone with real skill, I'm going to cop a whooping from them. That's genuine humility. It's seeing yourself rightly. So what is humility when it comes to God, to me and God? Well, humility is for me to say, I am the creature in this relationship. I'm the one who's limited by my humanity and by my background and by my culture, by my intellect, by my sinfulness. I'm the one who is limited. And that means I I can't see things as they truly are or as they truly should be. 
I don't understand everything, I'm not all-knowing, and I haven't got all the answers, and I'm not in the position of judge. That's humility in terms of seeing myself rightly and seeing God and saying to him, but God, you are the all-wise, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-good, perfect one. And so, God, you, please tell me what reality is in this situation. God, please be merciful to me and explain this to me. Humility means when God speaks, I listen. Now, we saw that, we saw that so well with Miguel, didn't we? Uh, there was this fantastic part towards the end of his interview there where he said, you know, if we trust God and we submit ourselves to him, he's a good God and he'll guide us. He just said it so, that right there, that's humility. And of course, the second thing from this verse is the way that God is going to guide us is, in verse 21, the word implanted in me. The, literally, what James says is the implanted word. It's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? The implanted word. What does it mean? Because I think we, we would normally think of the word as the word written on a page. It's the word that's printed. Why does James call it the implanted word? Well, think about the image for a minute. Something that's planted is something that is going to grow. It's something that you hope is going to flourish. It's something that's going to bear fruit. It's something that's alive in the soil. And that's what God has done with his word. Because the same Holy Spirit who inspired the word in the beginning is also inside us. And he takes the word on that page and he changes us with it. And he challenges us with it. And he convinces us of the truth. And he convicts us. And he enables us to grow and change. And again, we saw that with Miguel, didn't we? We saw how the word is changing his life, how he's a different person to the one he used to be. That's a product of the word. Never think of the Bible as just a cold, dead letter. It's anything but. It's living and breathing and it's implanted in us. It's the thing that actually helps us to keep going as Christians. What does James talk about in verses 2 and 3 there? He talked about how trials lead us to persevere and then they mature us so that we're, we're complete. How did the trials do that? Through the Word of God. As we reflect on the Word of God and the Word by the Holy Spirit starts to transform us. When we're going through trials, the thing, isn't, the thing not to do is shout at God. The thing to do is to listen to His Word because it's the thing that's going to lead us through the, to the end of our life. And the third thing that James says here is, it's the thing that can save us. See, verse 21 again, James tells us to humbly accept the implanted word which can save you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I actually thought it sounded a little bit uncertain. I think it's that word can. It can save you. I kind of was like, is James saying it might save me? Maybe it will save me. It's possible that it could save me. Actually, he means the exact opposite. What James literally says here is the implanted word, which is powerful to save you. God's word brought the creation of the universe into being. God's word brought us into new life. God's word is implanted inside us by the Holy Spirit. It is powerful to save me. It's powerful to lead me not just through this life, but into eternity. And so what kind of person do you want to be? Particularly in trials. What kind of person 
do you want to be? Do you want to be like the world that shouts to the rooftops and says, I want to be heard? Or do you want to be the person of God who says, I want to listen? Do you want to be like the world that's arrogant and says, what I've got to say is the most important thing in the world? Or the person of God who says, what God has to say is the most important thing in the world? Do you want to tell God his business? Or ask God to tell you your business? The measure of which you are on those is what you do with the word of God, whether you read it or not. Reading the Bible is the ultimate act of humility because you're saying, I don't know enough. My view is not the important one here. I'm going to place myself humbly under the God who wrote this. That's why it's so good to do it every day. To read the Bible every day just constantly places me under the word of God. Now, sometimes, especially in trials, we'll go there looking for specific answers to specific questions. So tomorrow night, we're going to be doing something on where is God in COVID-19? And the Bible does give specific answers. But, you know, I've found that just going to the Bible daily reminds me of who I am. Just going to the Bible daily is it's a daily act of submission. It slows me down. It gets me thinking. It gets me praying. It reminds me who is God and who I am. And it also reminds me that this God loves me. And so during this whole time, during COVID-19, one of the things that I've been really focusing on is doing a read the Bible in a year plan. It's been a while. It's probably been five, ten years since I've done the read the Bible in a year thing. I tell you, I've loved it. I've been sharing it in our Facebook community groups. And if you've been following along, you'll know that there's nothing particularly insightful in what I'm saying. I'm actually just saying the things that are, are on my heart and in my mind on that particular day. Why not join me in it? The passage is there every day and there's a link to it. Why not join me in just reading the Bible every day? Or why not do the John Piper reading plan that Miguel talked about? I was actually thinking that's what I'm going to do next year. Why not come and sit daily under the word of God? That's the kind of people we want to be, isn't it? James is so wise here. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen to God. Slow to speak to God and slow to become angry with God. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the implanted word which is powerful to save you. Let's pray that we'll be that kind of people. Let's pray. Our great God, you are God and we are not. You are wise and we're foolish. You're eternal and we are so very young. You see everything and we see so very little. We pray that we would be quick to listen to you and slow to speak and slow to be angry with you, slow to tell you your business, slow to tell you that you're wrong. Instead, we pray that we would come to your word humbly. We thank you so much that it's implanted in us. The wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the same Spirit 
who caused these words to be written lives inside us. And so your word is implanted in us and we pray that it will grow and bear fruit. And we thank you that this is a word that not only makes us wise, but is powerful to save us. What a gift in this time, Father, when the world is so busy sharing ignorance. We have the chance to bathe in truth. We pray that we'll be that kind of people. Amen. All right, and welcome back to the, the couches. So, Greg, couches. thank you for um, joining us. We've had a few questions come in. You know, Pete, we're asking if he can have tomorrow off, those kind of questions. Pete can take, <laughs> Pete can take the next several months. He years, can go. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get that in writing. Um, I actually have a little question of my own. So I have these lists of people that I get quite angry at when I'm uh, sitting at home having not enjoying my COVID life. Okay. And you're on that list because I think, Greg, you're naturally an introvert. I'm on everyone's list. You're... <laughs> <laughs> you love gardening. I just imagine you in peace with your bonsais, reading your Bible through the year. If you want to exercise, you can have a socially distant game of squash. <laughs> Tell me your life isn't as good as I'm making it out to um, be. What's well, funny, I, well, for one, I, over the years I've realised that I'm not an introvert. Oh. I know. I used to say that I was an introvert um, and I realised that it was actually... Um, uh, I'd, I'd reached the number of people in my life, but I've, I've really felt during this time this incredible frustration of not being with people. I was saying to someone this morning, after we finished church this morning, I kind of was ready to go and talk to people for yeah. an hour and I had to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I have to admit, I, by nature, I'm not an anxious person. Okay. And so I haven't been particularly anxious. And by nature, I'm a, a person who gets very excited by change. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning of this, I went into go mode People talk about the hero phase of things um, and uh, I just kind of went into hero mode of, yeah, let's get everything going, let's change. And I was so full of energy and excitement. And This isn't helping. Well, then the, the then the adrenaline okay, started good. to run out. Good. Um, and about three weeks in, I was like, man, I am so over this and the whole world stinks. That was just as school holidays started. Okay. Yeah. Well, I feel um, better now. I can, I can cross you off my yeah, no, list yeah, of people yeah. to not sit there and be angry at. Yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> so back to the back to some. We've got some great questions actually. This is really great. So um, we've got a question from Jesse Bully, and he says, "Hi Greg, you spoke about anger in terms of anger directed toward God. Hmm. Does James have our anger in general in view? For example, anger at injustice in our world that might move us to action." Um, great question. I, I think James primarily has uh, our anger towards God. However, it doesn't. It's good for us to stop and think about anger in general. Mm -hmm. um, anger in and of itself um, can't be a bad thing because God, we know, gets angry. Um, yeah. God is angry with sin. It's not so much anger that is the problem, but the way we do it. Mm -hmm. And especially it's worth thinking about, how does God do anger? Well, James is actually picking up on the name of God here in terms of God is the one in Exodus who is in Exodus 34, who is slow to anger. Um, whereas we are generally quick to anger. Yep. Um, God is entirely proportional in his anger. He never gets more angry than you should, whereas we often get way over angry and go way over the top and have to go back and apologise for overreacting. Yep. God is never self-serving in his anger, whereas we often take revenge. Um, that is, God's anger is always trustworthy because it's always the trustworthy God getting angry. Our anger 
is often something very untrustworthy. And there's a couple of passages I reckon that really help us. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about us judging others and says, be very careful about po uh, pointing out the speck in your brother's eye because you have a plank in your own. Our anger is often, say as we're, we're angry at other people, it's often deeply hypocritical. The other thing that just keeps affecting the way I want to think about other people's sin is, how does Jesus respond when he reaches Jerusalem, say in Luke? Yep. He's, he's just reached the city that is going to kill him and that has rejected the prophets. And he does talk about the judgment to come, but he weeps over Jerusalem. And he says, how I long to gather you like a mother hen gathers its chicks. Mm. I think the gospel-minded response to other people's sin and weakness and foolishness is not anger, but compassion. Yeah. Jesus she, sees the crowds as sheep without a shepherd. I'm trying to become the kind of person who responds to sin, not even with righteous anger, but with grace, yeah. like Jesus does. They're all reasons why I want to be very careful about my anger. Yeah, that's a great answer. And it also kind of answers... Um, Lockie Jones' question was, um, you know, talks about being slow to anger. Does that mean it's okay to get angry at times? And it's just, the answer is just be more like Jesus. Yeah. I, I think, let's go checklists. Asking ourselves, um, am I angry because of an injustice or am I angry because of a personal thing? Yeah. This, is, this is actually me. Am I angry to the right degree? Um, and am I angry fast or slow? They're, they're three questions where we see what God is like. I'd probably go with maybe 95% of the time, one of those three. I'm either way too fast, way too personal or way yep. disproportionate. Yep. Yeah, mine's usually because of my pride, so yeah, yeah can relate. Yeah. Um, another great question um, was, what is James talking about when he says all moral filth? That sounds like a pretty impossible task to rid yourself <laughs> of all moral filth. Yeah, 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 James, get rid of all moral filth. I wonder if there's two ways of thinking about it. Um, one is getting rid of all moral filth, that is, in terms of the extent of my life, rooting out every last piece of sin. Um, and that is a noble goal. I think we do want to get rid of all the, as much sin as we can. Knowing that, um, that process of changing us isn't going to be complete until Jesus returns. And so it's an ideal I'm aiming at to, to not sin, um, but I know that I will continually fail. I wonder if James might also have in mind all, not in terms of every last skerrick of sin, but also every kind of sin. Because one of the things I've noticed in my own heart is I'm very happy to get rid of certain sins that I'm not tempted to yep. commit. Yeah. And I cherish other sins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I'm, I'm happy not to um, watch Game of Thrones on television because I'm not interested in it. So there's a sin that I'm happy to yep. put off. Um, but don't ask me to be generous with my money. <laughs> And I wonder if James is also talking about scope, um, getting rid of every last skerrick and as much as I can until Jesus returns, but also having no cherished sins, because I think we all have them. And he's saying, no, yes. no, let Jesus into every area of your life and, yep. and challenge you in that. Yeah, that's quite challenging. Yeah, that one's... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Another really good question, and I guess it, it's definitely going to help us w w addressing our moral filth, is um, Beck Spring says, Hi, Greg, how do you think we can listen better slash grow in our ability to hear God? That is a great question. Um, 
At one level, there are certain skills um, in, in just being able to read the Bible. Um, well, let's, let's go back a step. Where does God reliably speak to us? Um, in Jesus in the scriptures. So the book of Hebrews begins with, in the past, God spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And so when Jesus speaks in the scriptures and when his apostles speak, there we have God speaking to us. Um, which doesn't mean that God will never speak in other ways, yep. but we know he's promised to speak in the scriptures. Um, I can grow in my ability to read the scriptures and get it right just through practice and those sorts of things. And God uses that ability. But to be honest, for me, the thing that stops me listening to God is not a lack of ability to read. It's a lack of willingness to mm. change. Um, it's when I open the scriptures and you go, oh, it's saying that. Oh, I'm not sure I really want to. <laughs> and so I wonder if the single greatest thing we can do to improve our ability to listen is to, as we open the word, say, God, by your spirit, open my heart yeah. and convict me. And um, every single time we open the word, it's powerful. The spirit is there, um, but often we are resistant. Yeah. And so I think coming and saying, God, help me not to resist. That's the, I think, the single most powerful thing I can do to listen. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Just, do we have time for some more questions? Yeah, well, I'm just going to ask one this one because I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, asking right. my time team. What are they going to do? They can't do it. They can't step <laughs> in and No, we have more time. Don't Sam mind. leaps in they front of the camera. To... No! <laughs> I've got to cook dinner. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Joking. Sam's cooking dinner tonight. Okay, so Joe Clark says um, she had a great question. Oh, here we go. I can hear what you're saying about humility. I'm wondering, some people say humility is self-forgetfulness, not uh, thinking about yourself at all. What do you think about that question? I think that's part of it. It's addressing a really good question. So um, a lot of our problem is um, thinking about myself in a situation. So if I'm proud, I'm thinking about how can I look good in this situation? If I'm shy, I'm afraid of what if I look foolish in this situation? And that idea that humility is self-forgetfulness is really helpful to say, think about other things. Um, I think it might be only one half of the question of humility, though, because part of humility in Philippians is, um, how do I want to relate to you yep. and I want to be the person who puts aside my interests and serves you? And so at that level, I, it's not so much self-forgetfulness as um, self-sacrifice as yep. well. Um, so I think it's a really good definition because we are so self-obsessed. Yep. But I don't think it's an entirely, just like my definition wasn't entirely, didn't cover all of it. Um, a big part of um, humility is I will sacrifice myself like Christ did. And that's very self-focused, isn't it? Yep. It's knowing what I'm giving yep. up and choosing it. And so there's maybe there's a bit more to it, but it's a good definition. Yeah, great. Well, thanks, Greg. That was really helpful.